morning, everybody. It's hard to find a place to interrupt that many conversations all at the same time. Jesus, we just thank You for Your Word to us this morning. God, we just pray that You would do in us as only You can. God, that that You'd bring Your Word alive to us. God, that You would feed it to us. God, that Your Spirit would minister it to us. God, exactly as as You intend. Lord God, we we pray for Your perfect presence to meet with us in this place today. God, to open our hearts, God, and to, to say to us the things that You would say, God, and that we would receive them. God, in, in uh, the faith that, that you have put inside of us. God, we just pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Go with me to Isaiah 64. And just to cover everybody's uh, gratefulness, you are welcome for us being late. So. I know everybody appreciates it. It's kind of a public service that we do. Actually, I have no explanation for this morning because we were kind of running ahead of schedule. Everything was grand. We were going to be leaving a little early, and then I think we may have like stepped through some sort of wormhole, and suddenly we were driving away ten minutes late, just like we always do. So, <laughs> which leads me to wonder: Are we actually ten minutes late, or are we leaving on time? <laughs> on time just seems to keep creeping back further and further. So anyway, here in Isaiah 64, I'm just going to start in verse 1. And he says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burns and the fire causes the waters to boil, and to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, and the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither has the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he's prepared for them that waits for him. So, you know, I always liked this passage because, you know, it carries this sense of longing for, for him. For his presence, like you know, that you would come down and, and rend the heavens, and you know, it, it reminds me of, of Psalm 18, when when David talked about being in trouble and you know, the smoke coming from God's nostrils and and, and all that. Um, you know, and and so so many of us have found ourselves in this this place of of looking for Him. And, you know, having this sense of, like, where did he go? <laughs> you know, and, uh, um, you know, we, we, we look back in our life to these times where, like in verse 3, where he's like, when you did terrible things that we look not for. I mean, we all have those testimonies of these amazing things that God has done in our life that we didn't expect. It's like, wasn't even looking for it. You know, like, you know, I don't know. I suppose it was like 23 years ago or so, at the ripe old age of 17, I, I gave up on ever finding love and uh, decided that I was just, you know, just forget about that. And, uh, um, you know, lo and behold, 
I wasn't even looking and 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 uh you know so God has a way of you know producing someone out of thin air for you. I was thinking about that Friday night at prayer and, and all the all the people that uh you know that we we you know, pray for everyone that's looking at for a relationship because you have no further to look than Matt and Jordan to know that God can just produce someone out of thin air so <laughs> no, it's true, but anyway. So we all have, you know, those those things that, that that God has, you know, God will surprise you with these things that you weren't even expecting, you know. And so then we come into these places where everything just feels, you know, just everything feels, um, you just feel numb and and despondent and and uh, and unhappy or or what have you. Uh, and, and so that, to me, that seems like a lot of what he's talking about here. Um, and in verse 5, uh, he said, Thou meetest him that rejoices and works righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we should be saved. And this is a really interesting verse. kind of studied this for a while and kind of came up with a couple of different uh, things with it. This, of course, this word uh, "meet" uh, is like to to light upon or to make a pact with someone. So it, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, what it made me think of is it seems like it carries the sense, kind of like the the dove settling on Jesus at the River Jordan, mm-hmm. because that's and which seems to be exactly what he's talking about here is like you know. Looking for that, looking for that sense of your presence just showing up and, and doing what you do. <clears throat> but he says here that 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 he and, and and of course the sense of making a pact is is really really great because we have this covenant with God. And and of course the you know the important thing about a covenant is there are two sides to it, and and both sides have a, a requirement uh, in that covenant. Um. Uh, but he said that that he meets or you know lights upon makes a pact with him that rejoices and works righteousness and those that remember thee in thy ways um, and when I studied this uh, the Darby puts this this next bit in parentheses uh, behold thou art wroth for we have sinned um, and here in the King James it's just a series of of colons. Um, so it seems to kind of change the sense of which thing is he talking about here at the end where he says, in those is continuance, uh, and we should be saved. Because um, I, I looked at several different translations, and some of them seem to say that that um, that, we've continue, that, we, that we continue in his ways, and then some of the translations seem to carry the sense of we've, we've been in this place of... of uh, living with with sin for a long time, you know, and and really you could take either one, I think, uh, because we go through places in our life where we have an issue that has just hung on and hung on and hung on, and and we don't do anything about it, we just leave it there, you know, and nobody nobody likes the big elephant in the room, you know, it's like if you've ever talked to somebody that like I don't know they had like a Something in their mustache, or they've got like little lipstick, uh, toothpaste crusties in the corner of their mouth, or whatever. You know, it's like, 
you just you're talking to him like you know and you know, um you know and sometimes we get to this place in our life where we we look in the mirror and we're so used to seeing seeing the little toothpaste crusties in the corner of our mouth that we just leave them there and we think well that's fine and and uh um, you know, and so like this word continuance is like the word that, that the Hebrews used for eternity. And it's like this is like, you know, of old, you know, back to the vanishing point of the beginning. Uh, I think like the, the Darby uses the word perpetuity, which is a really fun word. But, uh, you know, <coughs> um, obviously we don't want to continue in those things. You know, and and then the uh, this sense of you know continuing in his ways is a really good thing because that you know seems to be saying here that you know the that that presence of God that we look for um, you know he meets with those that rejoice and work righteousness and so um, of course you know the prophets talked about uh, you know sin separating us from him and things like that and of course that's not the only reason that um, uh, that we go through these periods where God seems to be quiet or, or distant because sometimes you know he's just drawing you after him uh, there's there's all kinds of different reasons that he does that um, but I found this interesting because he says in verse six but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And, and so, uh, you know, and, and we're all familiar with that idea of like our, our own righteousness being as filthy rags. Everybody, you know, quotes that little snippet, you know. And uh, um, but um, sometimes we get used to the, the little filthy rag things. And it kind of becomes like sort of part of our outfit, and we don't even really notice it anymore because it's you know, you look in the mirror long enough and you kind of get used to what you look like. And and that's like, okay. And, and so what God's talking about here, it's like, well, we don't want to get used to that, do we? You know, um, you, know I, I, uh, you know, like you, you get ready to leave the house and you realize, oh, man, you look in the mirror and you're like, nobody told me that was there. <laughs> it's like, dang it. You know, and... Uh, um, you know, and and that's of course the the thing that that God wants you to see when you look in the Word of God. If you see, like, hey, you've you've got the stuff in the corner of your mouth, maybe you should do something about it. You know, and sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's just simply making a decision that's like, you know, what I'm going to go a different direction. You know, and um, you know, and, and God really you know empowers us when we do that. Uh, in verse seven, he says, "There is none that calls upon thy name." that stirs up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. This word uh, to stir up uh, means to arouse or to awake. It's like the word they actually used for like waking up in the morning. And so sometimes we we just come to a place where we just kind of feel that sense of being numb and um, it's like being asleep. And if you've ever been really, really tired and you just can't seem to wake up, uh, then you, you know what I'm what I'm talking about is like that sense of like trying to 
rouse yourself and it, it's like it's just not working you know um you know but there's there is this thing here cuz he you know obviously we can if he says there's none that calls upon the name that stirs himself up so then we could apparently stir ourselves up to to take a hold of him um and uh you know obviously here he says you know we've uh that you've hid your face from us um and our iniquities have consumed us um and so you know that's always a good good thing not to necessarily as I'm so fond of saying not to go on a witch hunt looking for some kind of problem in that uh, but if you feel that sense of like wow I feel like I'm asleep and I can't wake up you know it's like I feel like I'm just numb and I don't know where he went um then you know that's would be a good time to ask that question it's like well is there something there then that is God hiding his face from me because of something? Um, and, uh, you know, because we have a faithful God and he'll talk to you about that and let you know. It's like, well, actually, you know, no. You know, or, well, actually, there's this thing. You know, and, and the great thing is, is God's very specific and he doesn't leave you in in suspense about the thing. He'll tell you about the thing. Because uh, if there's something that needs fixing, um, then uh, God is all about getting it fixed. So, uh, and so I like here in 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 verse eight, it kind of brings this sense of uh, you know of, of hope and focusing back on God because He says, "But now, o Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are the Potter, and we are all the work of Thy hand." So we we get in these places sometimes where. We finally recognize the thing in the mirror that that we've gotten so accustomed to having seen there, and and now now we're not so happy about seeing it anymore. Now now this thing is dissatisfactory and this needs to change. And that's a discouraging moment, but it's a great place to be because that's how you move on. That's how you move forward. That's how you get rid of it. And. Uh, and so it comes back to the sense of God being our Father, and Him being the Potter, and 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 dealing with uh, with things. You know, it's interesting. Um, as as your children get older, you can have like a more intelligent conversation with them about an issue, or you know, point out something in their behavior and really reason with them about, you know, here's here's what you're trying to do, but here's what you're actually doing. You know, and and you can tell when they reach that moment where they see it because it's like, oh. <sighs> and uh, we, we had a, a really great moment like that the other day, and it was, was really productive. Uh, go with me over to Judges 16. 16, yep. Well, I always just remember that Josh was not very nice because Josh would judge his roof. So. Gotta gotta love the Bible jokes. <laughs> of course, you all know the shortest man in the Bible was Bildad the Shuhite. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
you know, Naaman liked chewing tobacco because you know he, you know, he went and dipped seven times, and <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just funny, honestly, I've preached this message before, but um, uh, it really kind of hit me again yesterday um, when I was uh, studying it, you know, because um, this passage in, in Isaiah 64, you know, whether it's because God is dealing with an issue in your life or because he's just bringing you deeper into him and, and getting things done in your life, um, in either case, he says there's. He talks about there not being anyone who stirred themselves up to to seek him. And so, seems to me that that would be the thing to do because if you need an answer, or you need something changed, or you need something fixed, um, then you would need to seek him. You know, if you know, if, if everything is going along and you have the bluebird of happiness on your shoulder, then you would still want to seek him because, um, um, you know, you don't you don't want to have him, you know, just be your buddy in the foxhole. You you want to build that relationship with him um, on, uh, on you know on the the days when there's no drama, and you know, and he's just there, and and you're there, and. And you just you know get on down the road together because relationships are like that. Not every day is super exciting. Unless you're married to Cynthia, every day is a blast when you're married to Cynthia. <laughs> so. yeah, she's more fun than you might think. We were play- we were playing this game. I did not want to play this game, and uh, uh, but Zoe wanted to play it. And it's called headbands. If you've never played it, you put this little headband on, and it's got this card in it with a picture on it. And it says, I am a whatever the picture is. And you you have a little timer, and you ask everybody else questions to figure out what are you. Um, and honestly, I was more inclined to play that than anything else we had because I didn't have to sit at a table and like play a card. I, we could like just sit on the couch and play it. You know? But it was really funny because uh, you know it's hilarious watching the kids try and and narrow it down. Um, and, uh, of course, Zoe's timer ran out. And, and uh, Cindy's like, eh, time's up. Better luck next time. Boo. <laughs> it was just like, this is the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> so, so she's a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, but seriously, you know, in, uh, you know, I wanted to go over here to judges because... Um, you know, the sense of seeking God, um, you know, and uh, has to do a lot with consecration. And um, because, you know, to, to consecrate something, you set it aside for a specific purpose. You know, and so, you know, God continually invites us to set ourselves aside for his purpose, to, to set ourselves aside to seek him, to stir ourselves up then to to seek him um, um, so you probably know what I'm going getting ready to go over here but I want to talk about Samson uh, here in 16 of course he he was a Nazarite from the womb so he had this consecration that was conferred on him it wasn't even something that he chose to begin with um, 
and and he he stuck with it even though he had all these other issues. Um, but he he stuck with this consecration thing because he wouldn't tell Delilah what his secret was until eventually, of course, he did. And that's where I'm going to start here in 17. It says, and he told her all his heart because she had been uh, all over his case to, to, to tell her what the secret was. And he told her all that was in his heart, and he said, There has not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go for me, and I should become weak like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him to sleep on her knees, and she called for a man and caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before, and I will shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord had departed from him. And the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. So he he gave up the sense of consecration because he of this because he of Delilah because of this woman this thing that he wanted this appetite of his flesh and he he had you know God had had warned him continually about this this issue of these 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 women and uh, and and now he's getting to, he's getting to experience the uh, the the fruit of what God was talking about. To him, but in verse 22 it says, "Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven." So, um, I don't know if you uh, if you've ever heard of that sight and sound theater thing they have in Branson where they do the Bible plays. It's really cool. Um, they it's obviously a, a scene of artistic license, but it's really cool. They have this scene where Samson is blinded and and he's grinding in the mill, uh, and the the angel of the Lord comes to him again, just like the same the same one that had come to his parents, and 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 talks to him about grace, and talks to him about the, the love and the mercy of God and everything, and um and he and then that's when he realizes that his hair is growing back, you know, and uh, so which like obviously like I said that's not in the Bible, but um, you know there's some kind of business it seems that. That he's doing with God, then that would bring this, this sense of the consecration coming back, you know. And because obviously your hair grows whether you like it or not, um, but um, in order to, you know, to consecrate yourself or to re-consecrate yourself to the Lord would take a decision, it would take some kind of act of will on your own part. You know, and so, uh, uh, but here's what's cool after this. You know, because his hair come back, this consecration comes back, and then it says, "The lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice, for they said, Our God has delivered Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, and they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. Then it came to pass when their hearts were merry, they said, Call for Samson, that he may make a sport. So they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said to the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house stands, that I may lean upon them. Now the house is full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. 
And there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once, at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and upon which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead that he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. So, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd paid a price for that, having lost that consecration, but, um, but God returned it to him, and, uh, and, and he, he finished his course. I, mean, I, I, I don't see how you couldn't say that that was not victory, not victorious in his life. You know? um, so, go with me over to First Samuel. And we're going to talk about another Nazarite in chapter 1. So, of course, Samuel was a Nazarite. And that, and Samuel, too, had this um, conferred on him before he was born. Um, and so I'm just going to buzz down through here. Um, there was a certain man of... Uh, Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Ziph, and Aphrathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathath
again, this isn't something that Samuel chose for himself. This is something that his his mother made this vow before he was even conceived. And and it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said to her, How long will you be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of the sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and my grief have I spoken hitherto. So it's interesting because this this you know this religious guy, this priest you, that you would think would know better, finds fault with her because she's in this place. It's like he he's completely missing the point of, of what she's dealing with. So and then Eli answered and said, "Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him." And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And when you read about Eli, and you think, and and he God honored that? <laughs> the guy that just was like, it's like, geez, what's wrong with this, you know, this drunken woman, you know? And then she's like, well, actually, it's this. And he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, you know. Go in peace and be filled and, you know, God's going to bless you, you know. And it's like, you, what? It's like, okay. So kind of a push over there. Um, but uh, but it's precious because she took hold of that. It's like, well, this is the priest of the Lord after all. You know, he's, he was, you know, anointed to be the priest whether he's got his stuff together or not. Because he clearly doesn't as we read through the story. But she she took it as as okay God's going to answer my prayer. <clears throat> and they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her. I love how the Bible says that like that God remembered somebody. It's like because y'all we feel like you know he forgot about me, you know and I don't know. And, and I know it's you know not remembered as in like oh he forgot, but it feels that way. It's like um, you know it's like you can almost picture him like oh man I I totally forgot about Hannah blah. So, um, but uh, of course obviously God hadn't forgotten and he was waiting for this moment to do the thing that he promised that he was going to do. And it says, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come after Hannah had conceived, she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I've asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up till the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and abide there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Well, do what seems to be good. Tarry till thou hast weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So, you know, I've always thought that was an interesting statement. He's like, okay. Um, it seems to me that he's reminding her, it's like, okay, now you did vow this vow that you're going to take him up there, and this will not go well if you told God you were going to give him back to him all the days of his life, and then you don't. Um, what it seems to me, because he says only the Lord establishes word. 
So, so the woman abode and gave her son suck until she had weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore have I lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he should be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So, so Samuel started out with the same kind of consecration that Samson did. You know, Samson's parents, you know, asked the angels, like, hey, how do we, you know, how do we do this? You know, what do we, how do we, how are we supposed to raise him? And everything. And um, so, if anything, you would think Samson would have had a better shot. He was more set up for success to do this thing right than Samuel was. Because Samuel's growing up without the benefit of his parents being there. And you you can look at, at Eli's sons and, and think, I don't really want this crusty old guy raising my kid. You know, and... Um, I know everybody has to make their own decisions, and some you can't always point at, you know, point the finger at, at, at a parent for what their child turns out like. But the the Bible says that um, a man of God came to Eli and and talked to him about his sons, and and he did nothing. And uh, so so clearly there was something broken there, but. Um, uh, you you can you can read the entire book of Samuel because of course he passes away at the end of or on towards the end of the first book I think um, and there isn't anything that even remotely resembles failure there I mean his sons didn't it says didn't really quite walk like him but again it's like um, you know it doesn't tell you that God sent him some message about like hey you need to you know, straighten out your your son's behavior, blah blah blah. You know. So, um, you know, the only difference that you can really find there uh, is that Samuel understood how costly and how valuable this consecration was because of what it cost him as a child, because of what it cost him as uh, for his mother. You know, because of course she comes up every year and brings him a little coat that she made him and everything. And I mean, I can only imagine how difficult that would be, you know, to only get to see your kid for like a week, like just bits and pieces of for of a week, you know, once a year, you know, and then and then want to come home with you, you know, and then over time probably start feeling seeming kind of distant, like well, you know, actually I don't really know you all that well, and you know, and how painful that would be. Um, but he understood that. That she had asked God for him and vowed that she was going to give him back to God, and she did. And so he understood that this being consecrated to God is something valuable and something costly, and it costs too much to just throw it away. You know, Sam or uh, Samson had it conferred upon him the same way, but he didn't value it the same way. And, uh, you know, and you can see, you know, God brought them both to the end of their life in victory. 
but Samuel didn't go through that place of of all that loss and all that uh, you know the the destruction that happened in, in Samson's life and all the the sorrow that went with you know the chasing after these Philistine women and all the stuff that happened to him. Um, so, um, so seeking God then, you know, is, is something that it, it really is important. You know, the, the sense of consecration is something that requires a choice to be made. You know, and obviously Jesus said, you know, swear not at all, because if you if you you, you swear you're going to do something, then you know you probably won't make it past Tuesday afternoon before you, you've messed that up. You know, and and so uh you know, it's like, like Martin Luther, you know, when he was at the Diet at Worms and and he he refused to recant of the things that he taught. And I, I love how he ended his discourse there because he says, God help me You know, and because he, he had done everything he could do and he had made this choice that he wasn't going to back down, but he was kind of at the end of what he could do, and he knew that he needed God to bring him through. He needed God to, you know, to have, to to bring the follow through. And so, God help me, you know. And so, you know, that's the thing that we want to do. You know, for years I thought, well, I, I can't really just stir myself up to seek God and and, you know, and uh, to consecrate myself to Him and turn away from this and that and the other thing because. I can't tell him that and not be able to follow through on it. And it's like, well, so then who, you know, who am I trusting then to do that? Am I looking at the man in the mirror or am I looking at the inside man? Because um, because you have that incorruptible seed inside of you. Um, so, you, um, you know, so many times, so many of the things that God deals with us about Simply require a choice, and 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 it's and maybe not even just a. It's usually not just a choice once and then that's that. It's this choice day after day. I'm going to continue because every one of us in this place have been chosen by God, but we have to choose Him. We have to choose Him back, and and that's what makes you know. And that's that's not works, you know. Just like you know, if you're here Friday night, it was. You know, when Ron was talking about that, it's like it's not works to choose God; it's placing value on the relationship. Um, and uh, so, um, that sense of, of really setting ourselves aside to to belong to Him is a really important thing. And so, if you, you know, if you need something fixed in your life. If you're if if you if you can read Isaiah 64 and think yeah where did you go I wish you would just you know just come down and and just I could just bask in the glory of your presence and everything well that's that's where it's at and that's where we find it and so all of the answers to everything that you could think of everything that you need is in that daily decision to be consecrated to God. And so it will require plenty of choosing. Uh, but I can guarantee you if you choose Him and you choose that consecrated place, then God will provide the follow-through. And, and, and He will um, He'll keep you on that path and, and bring you into exactly what He wants for your life.
So, Jesus, we just we pray this morning that You would do these things in our lives, God. God, we, we take seriously, God, that You would invite us to set ourselves aside as, as something holy unto You. God, You called us the saints, the holy ones. God, and uh, You have chosen us, God, and, and set before us this choice to choose You. God, and, and throughout Your Word, God, there are these crossroads of, of choosing. God, just like Moses telling the children of Israel, I've set before You uh, death and evil and life and good. Choose, choose life. God, and, and that's what we want in this place. God, we want to set ourselves aside. God, not, not building our own thing. Not um, doing the things that, that we deem important, Lord Jesus, but, but putting You first in all things. God, because Your Word plainly tells us, God, and we uh, it's one of the first things I think we learn, God, when we come into Your kingdom, God, to put You first, God, to, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. God, everything that we need. God, and not just physical things, but everything that we need uh, comes to us uh, um, and just falls into place when we put You first. God, when You are at that, that place of preeminence, God, then everything else um, lands where it should. And God, we just we pray that You would uh, touch every heart in this place, God, that no one's faith would fail. And God, and that, um, that You would cause us to take seriously the, uh, the sense of self-examination, God, but, but also to, to, to understand and to trust that, that You are our Father and that You are the potter and that we are the clay. God, and that You would bring us into this place of, of walking circumspect before You. God, as only You can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.